surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk About It. I am your host, Taylor, and this is honestly a very long overdue conversation carrying over from my Instagram that I cannot wait to have with you guys today. And it centers around the question, what are you? So for those of you that either don't follow me on Instagram or happen to miss this kind of rant and conversation on my page, um, I was in Vancouver and a man approached me just on the sidewalk and came straight up to me and tilted his head very curiously and just said, what are you? Are you Brazilian? And so I proceeded to share on Instagram that, you know, this happened, this has happened throughout my life and just that it's very invasive and that oftentimes it is other white people asking me this question and trying to figure out what my ethnicity is and just how inappropriate it is. And it became a larger conversation around white fragility and um, how people of color say white people. Uh, There were many, many layers to this conversation that started unfolding. And so today I'll be digging a little bit deeper with a guest who wrote a piece um, in HuffPost about this. And it was titled, For the Last Time, Don't Ask a Stranger, What Are You? So we'll be talking with Jordan Carter. She is a lawyer and pop culture enthusiast and lives in Kansas. And before we get started uh, digging into this, you know, I've shared very briefly kind of my one encounter that I had shared on Instagram about this. Granted, it's something I've encountered throughout my life. Um, But many of the points that Jordan pointed out in her article, I think were amazing. And I will link the article here, but I would also just like to give a quick read over of it for you guys. Um, I think just many of the points that she brought up were very, very spot on and we'll discuss them more with her and also we'll share some of your guys' experiences that you wrote me. Um, People, you know, getting asked the same question and their thoughts and feelings on it. People who are about to have kids or have kids that are biracial or mixed and wanting to know advice on how to handle when this kind of situation comes up. Um, And also from other people who had disagreements with uh, why this question is okay or not okay. So I hope you guys have your empathy pants on. I hope you guys uh, have your ears and minds open in this conversation. Um, And hopefully we can all take something away from this. Uh, So let's get into Jordan's article. Again, it's titled, For the Last Time, Don't Ask a Stranger, What Are You? Sometimes it's an aggressive shout, like a hostile interrogation of identity. Other times it's gentle and marveling, purred with a tilt head as if I'm part of an anthropological investigation. Always, it sucks. As a biracial person who grew up in a mid-sized Midwestern city, I am used to existing in spaces where I am the only one. Often the sole non-white person in any given classroom, restaurant, or party, I first became accustomed to the stares and later to the questioning. I have fielded this inquisition, so what are you? 
several hundred times. It's not as though the topic wasn't already on my mind. I've been acutely aware of my own racial identity every single day of my life, as I imagine is the case for many minorities. I've most certainly felt the otherness that comes from feeling too white for some spaces, too black for others. People have felt free to comment on my otherness too. Oreo was a nickname used so frequently in my youth that it became, in a warped way, a term of endearment. It is in that context in which I've had to deal with strangers asking, what are you? It's a strange social impulse, one that is not a compliment. It's not, you have pretty eyes. It's, what color are your irises? It's like going up to a celebrity, not to tell them you love them in that movie, but merely to ask whether they were in that movie and then to be satisfied by having asked the question. I did nothing to curate this particular mix of genes, so it doesn't feel particularly flattering. Despite what you might assume, this question doesn't seem to be about showing romantic or sexual interest. I'm asked it by all genders, ages, races, and demographics. It happens on the street as it did several months ago when a man paused his phone conversation to shout at me while I entered the library. Excuse me, what race are you? It happens at parties when older women bemoan their own coloring. I wish I had your skin color. What are you? It happens at work by cautious staff members. Just curious. I was wondering what race you were. It happens in bathrooms by exuberant drunk girls. I love your hair. What are you? This one isn't so bad because exuberant drunk girls in bathrooms make you feel good about yourself, but it's everywhere. Everyone's thinking about and talking about race. I get it. For what it's worth, I do believe much of the questioning is genuine curiosity. But to what end? If I answer the question, which I usually do because I am a people pleaser and would rather eat my own arm than face an ounce of confrontation, where do you foresee this question going? There is no segue into regular conversation after that. If the asker responds, oh, that's what I thought, then congratulations, you correctly guessed a stranger's ethnic makeup. Sometimes I'll get, oh, I thought you were another ethnic combo. I myself have gotten wrong guesses of Indian, Italian, Native American, Brazilian, Spanish, Mexican, and Egyptian. So sorry to disappoint work on those stereotyping skills for the next ethnically ambiguous person you come across. I know people are asked by a person of the same ethnicity, are you so-and-so ethnicity, in a way that leads to organic conversation about their commonalities. I understand using this type of question as a way to spark a meaningful discussion about a particular cultural tradition or experience. It can still be an awkward exchange, but there are tactful ways to ask about someone's nationality or background if you sincerely want to have that conversation. And when you get to know a person, that's a different story. What I'm talking about is the 98% of the time where that's definitely not what's going on. Instead, I have to deal with strangers who feel entitled to that single piece of information. There is no meaningful discussion to follow, no bonding over a shared cultural experience. Instead, it feels like a game the person has decided to play, a game that is very uncomfortable and not even a little bit fun for me. I am not quick enough for a quippy report and not confident enough to shut it down firmly, particularly when a man has asked it in a one-on-one situation. So I am left with the burden of making the other person feel like it's not a weird question, and usually I just answer it with some trailing version of, "Uh, my dad is black and my mom is white, so... And then it's awkward. 
like I'm waiting for the person's approval or rejection of my personal heritage. So to those who say, but people just want to learn about their fellow humans, lighten up. I say no. It's creepy and invasive. If you're curious, be curious about something I've clearly decided to share with the world, like the book I'm reading or the necklace I'm wearing or the ice cream flavor I chose. This particular question and its variations, are you mixed? What are you mixed with? What are your parents? Where are you from? No, but where are you from? Are truly inappropriate if you have no relationship to the person. There are a billion legitimate ways to start a conversation that don't involve exoticizing and othering a complete stranger. This one could so easily be cut out of everyday conversation. So to give you an answer, what's black and white and tired of fielding this question? Me. All right, so I just want to take a quick little break here to share one of my favorite and also something I'm super passionate about, um, products and companies that I partnered with for the, for the podcast, and that's Lola. Um, so you guys have probably heard me talk about them before, but honestly, this is something I am super passionate about because I give a lot of shits about our feminine products and what we are putting on our bodies. And I have had very bad experiences. I literally have got like contact dermatitis from using panty liners that have had all kinds of synthetic, unhealthy, fragrancy chemicals in them that were damaging to my body. So I absolutely love using Lola because they're 100% natural and they're just easy to feel good about. Uh, They offer complete transparency about the ingredients that are in their tampons, pads, liners, and wipes. Um, So they don't add any chemicals. There's no fragrances, no synthetics, no dyes. None of them are treated with like harsh chemical cleansing agents that are usually in most of the feminine care products. Um, And I love the fact that it's like founded by women and it's made for women. So you know that they actually care. Um, And they now offer cleansing wipes that are safe to use anywhere on the body. They are the first biodegradable, all natural wipe of their kind, perfect for any kind of like midday fresh. Um, And they're individually packaged. So they're perfect for on the go. Um, And honestly, they're a company that like also not only is doing good for, you know, our lady parts, but is also doing good for um, homeless shelters across the U.S. So the women that, you know, are struggling to afford housing and probably a lot of other things, Lola is helping them as well and donating feminine care products to them too. So all around love this company so much. And it's almost like a subscription box. So you can decide how many boxes you want delivered. You can select your shipment frequency. Uh, You can cancel or skip an order or modify your subscription at any time. Um, They email you two days before you get your box. And so... They pride themselves on no surprises or gimmicks. Um, There's good communication there between them. So I absolutely love them. And I really hope that you guys check them out. You can get 40% off, 40% off of all subscriptions. Just visit mylola.com and enter Taylor when you subscribe. So super, super recommend them, guys. You don't want to be using the feminine care products with all the extra crap in them, honestly. Like... Switch to 100% natural. Highly recommend Lola. I absolutely love using them. The panty liners are my favorite. I rarely use tampons, but when I do, I use theirs. So again, that's 40% off of all subscriptions. Visit mylola.com and enter Taylor when you subscribe. And I hope you ladies enjoy. And now we can get back to the show. All right. 
thank you so much, Jordan, for writing this article. And there's so many points of this that we will definitely touch on, like the exoticizing, like the genuine curiosity, <laughs> um, many, many pieces of this I relate to and many other people relate to as well. And before we get started with this, I also, I really, really appreciate the fact that a lot of you took time to write in some of your experiences. Um, and I really want to give more voices to this than just my experiences and Jordan's uh, experiences as well. So now that you guys have heard Jordan's piece, I just want to share a few of your messages. And and these honestly were so nice to read through because I think, again, sharing these stories just kind of reaffirms that we're not alone in, in these things. Um, so I'll start sharing them now. Thank you for being willing to talk about this topic. Ever since I was a little girl, people have approached me and asked me, what are you? I was always really kind and answered with a smile, but as I got older, I realized how bizarre it actually is that people think it's okay to come into my space and ask me this question. I was born in India. I'm adopted by a single white mama who was amazing. I can't tell you how many times after I told the people asking this that I was Indian, they would legit say, oh, the dot or the feather kind? Like what the actual hell? I appreciate you so much. I love how you use your platform. I love your boldness and willingness uh, to share your perspective on so many topics that people shy away from speaking about. And she can't wait to listen to this episode of the podcast. So <laughs> here you go. You made it into the podcast. <laughs> um, another writer said, uh, yes, please. Thank you. I am half Nigerian and half white and all of my siblings are white because my mom remarried and my biological dad isn't around. And everyone always says, what are you? And it's like, um, a human? LOL. <laughs> I guess I could have just laughed. Uh, secondly, people will always say, no wonder you're so pretty when I tell them I'm mixed. And it's like, are you implying I wouldn't be pretty if I was just black? Do I need the half white to make me pretty? Ugh, so frustrating. I feel you on that one. We'll, we'll get into that a little more. <laughs> Someone else said, I get asked that question all the time. And I hate that question for many reasons, but more because it's so sad to see that when I respond and say I am Mexican, people are disappointed. And they literally just say, no way. No way you're just Mexican. You have to be mixed with something else. Like they're disappointed I'm not as exotic as I look or whatever. Please mention that on your podcast that some people don't like to answer that question because yes, it's very rude and abrupt. And also because the responses are not always the best. Not to mention, why do you care? Why does it matter to you? What difference does that make? Does that make a difference to you? Thank you for sharing your experience. It's pretty relatable. And yes, <laughs> I, I feel you on that. The people's responses to uh, your answer are a big part of why this is a invasive, uncomfortable question. Someone else wrote in and said, as a white passing Native American, it is hurtful to me when people don't believe my ethnic identity because of my race and appearance. I feel like I am living between two worlds and that I do not belong in either of them because of the contradiction between the way I look and who I am. Thank you for talking about this. There's so much to say. Uh, this this letter write in DM I thought was particularly interesting and I actually received many like this. Um, so this is not someone's uh, personal experience. However, it is someone close to her, her mother, who asks this question. So she writes, my, my mother does this. Anyone who has darker skin or features, she will ask where, they, where they're from. 
It always makes me cringe and I wish I could disappear, but I never knew how to approach telling her that you cannot do that. Last year, I finally told her after she asked our waiter and he said, Houston, she didn't know or realize what the issue was, but she appreciated me talking to her. She was always coming from a very inquisitive place and curious and had never thought about it as crossing a line. From what I know, she has stopped. And so I just, A, I appreciate the fact that this person had that conversation with her to explain kind of where that could be insensitive. Um, And second, I think it's very important that we do talk about kind of this curious place and, and why people are very inquisitive about this. So thank you guys so much for writing in and sharing some of your experiences. There were many, many, many that I received and I wish I could share more of them here, but we will go over some of these together with Jordan and also touch more on her piece. So without any further ado, welcome Jordan to the show. Thank you so, so, so much for not only writing your piece, but for agreeing to come on and talk more about it with me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. Yeah. So first, kind of before we get into some of the specifics of of what you wrote about in the article, I'm curious kind of what it was like for you to put this out there into the universe and what kind of feedback you got when, when this was put out there. This was the first sort of public personal essay that I've ever had published and I really love writing and I am an oversharer and so I I like that personal writing but this is the first time I've had a relatively large audience mm-hmm. and <laughs> have had the the ups and downs of you know having people feel free to comment on what I have written and also on my appearance which you know there's a, a photo mm-hmm. posted with the essay and so yeah. this is my first <laughs> experience of of people just really feeling free to to say what they were going to and honestly 90% of the comments that i got were very supportive and people saying, I didn't know this. Thank you for, you know, sharing your perspective. Thank you for opening my eyes to this. Mm -hmm. Or the best was people who have experienced similar situations or have kids who are ethnically ambiguous or Mm -hmm. multiracial and saying, this really helped me. Um, I appreciate you saying this. That said, there were definitely some harsh comments and, you know, the the internet, how things can devolve into criticisms of totally unrelated topics and people just, you know, fighting with each other in the comments. Um, Oh yeah, familiar with that. (laughs) (laughs) I think the the hardest, sort of the crux of the debate is, is just in the way that people intend the what are you conversation and then the way it's perceived by the person who's being asked. And I think mm-hmm. if you can have that conversation, you kind of get to a, a, an understanding. Totally. Yeah. And I think that was a large part of the conversation that I then ended up having on Instagram of people saying, no, this is just out of genuine curiosity. Like, don't be offended. Like people didn't mean to like offend you. And it is a hundred percent this conversation of intent versus impact. And we, we have to understand that even though we may not intend for something to come across a certain way, that its impact on that person or those people is still very valid. Um, and I think that that can be a hard thing to come to a, p- a place of acceptance and understanding with, especially when it's something as 
emotional as, as discussing things like race. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think the issue of, okay, the, the biggest response I get is, oh, I was just curious. Yep. And I get that. I'm curious. I'm curious about a lot of things, about mm-hmm. a lot of people. Mm-hmm. There's a million questions, you know, that I could ask you that I'm curious about, yeah. about things that I that I perceive about you from what I can see or have mm-hmm. heard, right? Yeah. It, to me, it's similar to asking to asking a woman if she's pregnant or if she wants to get pregnant or are you trying to have another kid anytime soon? Even yeah. if it's your friend, and I've definitely done this, if it's your friend and you're curious and you have totally pure intentions, mm-hmm. it's invasive and you yeah. don't know you don't know how that conversation will resonate and you're frankly not entitled to any of that information. And so I understand curiosity, but you gotta have, you gotta have boundaries, especially with pure strangers. And that's the the stranger element I think is, shouldn't be lost in the conversation because for me, and I, I'm assuming for you, you get this from people that you do not know at all. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I love that um, kind of metaphor for it. The one that I had been saying like with friends and family and I don't know, tell me your thoughts on this one, but that I felt like it was almost like asking someone who you could maybe see or had the assumption was transgender and asking them if they have a penis or vagina that like, that like, you're just genuinely curious, you know, like if you're, you know, if you've gone that far to have a gender reassignment surgery, like not wanting to put any kind of judgment on them, but just genuinely just being curious. Like, yeah, like, I just wonder, like, you know, do you have penis or do you have a vagina? <laughs> yes. It's like a stranger's curiosity does not give them free reign to yeah. ask anything that mm-hmm. they're curious about. It's that's just not how the world should work. Yes. And I think when when discussing this topic, I think, you know, the, in the way that I shared it, almost 95% of the time that I'm asked this question, it is by someone who is non, not a person of color, um, someone who is of some kind of white origin. Um, and what was interesting to me is that then, to me, it came across very much as this like entitled thing that a a lot of white people maybe don't fully understand the boundary that, that, that needs to be there. Um, and even just sharing that was like, oh, well you're being hypocritical because you're doing the same thing by just calling us white. And like, you don't know like what kind of white that person is. And then it's just like, whoa, (laughs) but that's, that illustrates the point, right? I mean, most white people are not asked the question. They don't have to deal mm-hmm. with it. And I would venture to say they're really not asked by other white people. Mm-hmm. And so if it feels like you, I mean, so I am from Kansas, which is a very white state. Mm-hmm. And so I already have felt very aware of being the only person of color in, you know, all sorts of situations at yes. school, um, in a restaurant, at a party. Mm-hmm. And th- that's just something that you get used to, but you're yeah. always aware of. And did and you, so having, sorry, I'm just curious, did, did you also grow up with both parents or were you raised more with your white side or more with your black side? Because I think that plays a large part in it too. 
That's a great point. So I grew up with both parents. My parents are married. Um, and so I guess to, to flush out the, the, the picture my mom is white and my mm-hmm. dad is black and, uh, my mom's family is also in Kansas. So I grew up with more contact with them. Yeah. Um, my, da- my dad's family is in California, but so I definitely have been in mm-hmm. public situations with both parents and then with one parent at a time. And mm-hmm. that, those elicit different conversations. Yeah. Totally. Um, on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I grew up with just my mom and then my stepdad, who's also white. And so very much relatable that I usually was the only person that was not white in in my family and any kind of social setting. Um, and I think that something when we discuss the like white people getting asked this question or not, I think that the piece that's missing here is is part of what you talked about in your letter of like exoticizing us and like othering us. And I think for me, it it totally is also like what you talked about of getting this approval or rejection. And I think, you know, how I grew up in middle school, being in South Carolina, being the new girl, experienced so much racism. And so much of what I was told about my race was that like my black side was ugly and that like my black side was like the negative part of me. And when I would answer this question, you know, and be like, oh, I'm half black, half white. And it would be like, what? No, no way. But you're so pretty. And it's like, it's like, those are the kinds of responses that I don't think that people who are of any kind of white origin or whatever are experiencing. Yes, that blows my mind. And yet I have had that happen also. It's like, the question is never just the question. Mm -hmm. It's there's there's some judgment and sometimes, you know, it's very quote unquote positive judgment. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's, you know, openly racist or openly negative. Uh, But but either way, what's so frustrating is that there's nothing productive that comes after it. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's a big distinction, too, is if you have someone who seems to be the same ethnicity as you and you feel like you can relate to them and you have a a substantive conversation you want to have Mm -hmm. to me, that's totally different. What I get, and it sounds like what you may have gotten is just like, just what are you? And then like, that's it. Like, I want to know. (laughs) Yeah. And then, okay. I've cataloged that in my mind. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't want to talk to you about what that experience has been like for you. Or, you know, how that has shaped your, your mm-hmm. values or your beliefs or, or anything of substance. It literally is a stranger stopping you, asking for your ethnic makeup, mm-hmm. and then either what, they're right or they're wrong, and yeah. then goodbye. It's and like, then they don't walk even, away. <laughs> don't even know my name. Yes. Yeah, and to me, that was like a big part of like, you don't even know my name. Like, why are you entitled to know this information? Um, and I, one of the questions that I got a lot too was like, if a person of color asked you this, would it be offensive as well? And so I think your point to that you know, usually that is on a, on a basis of like connecting. Like even a few weeks ago when I was at the mechanic, uh, there was a new guy working there and he, um, he was def- he was a person of color. And as soon as he asked me when he was like, Oh, like, are you mixed? And I was like, I was like, in my head, I'm like, 
he's mixed. He's asking me if I'm mixed because we're going to bond over being mixed. (laughs) So like certainly, yeah, there was still a layer of like awkwardness to it, but it was like, it it didn't feel objectifying. It, It was, it was a part of a larger kind of conversation. And I think that is just so incredibly different. And another thing I think sometimes people are unaware of is that it, you pointed this out in the essay that uh, that it feels almost like a game um, where <laughs> sometimes it's it's uh, oh where what are you? It's like excuse me, <laughs> and it's like oh like where are you from? And I'm like Jersey, and they're like no 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 like you know where did you like grow up or like where where are your parents from? And I'm like Jersey. <laughs> and but where are they really from? <laughs> yes, yes. Where are they really and- from? <laughs> Yes. Uh, do you get, do you also get people just fielding guesses as to what your ethnic background is without any yes. information? Yes. And we're literally like today's Tuesday, today's Wednesday, and literally is Saturday. I was at a party and um, they were, one of the guys was mixed, um, but then it was two other guys that were white and it was, it was all a group of gay guys. And Literally, we shook hands. I introduced myself. And the first question each of them asked me, it was like individually that we were having this uh, introduction. Each of them asked like, oh, what are you? Where are you? Where are you from? And in my head, I was just like, why is this the first thing we're discussing? <laughs> and and sometimes I do say, I'll just, because I'm over it, I'm just like, what do you think? Like, yeah, give it a go. What do you think then? And, I've done that too. <laughs> and then they and then they just start guessing a bunch of different things and they never guess what I actually am. And then it is this huge surprise that I'm black and it's like, no way, no way. And yeah, even that just like feels uncomfortable that it's like, okay, what now? <laughs> yeah, what 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 do you expect then the follow-up conversation to be if you've just, you know, told me I don't fit your expectations for what mm-hmm. this ethnicity should look like. Yeah. I and, mean, are you insulting me? Are you complimenting mm-hmm. me? It doesn't, does not feel good. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I remember even when I lived in Baltimore, uh, there was this one bar that for whatever reason, there were typically a larger amount of Indian guys there. And anytime I would go there, literally I would get approached by these Indian guys who thought I was Indian. And the first they'd be like, Hey girl. <laughs> and then they'd be like, what are you? And I'd be like, I'm half black, half white. And then they literally would be like, ah, okay. And walk away. To where I was like, yeah, I'm not Indian. So now you don't want to fuck with me anymore. Like, okay, great. Thanks for the rejection. Yes. Yeah. So it is just to make this assumption and just to make this judgment of like, sometimes it is of like, am I interested in you? Am I not interested in you? And other times it's this like objectification of your beauty of, I love that you noted this of like the women being like, oh, I love your skin tone. <laughs> like, oh, I just wish I could have your color. I'm so pale. And, and yeah, that in and of yeah. itself is so freaking uncomfortable. Yeah. What, <laughs> what do you want me to say? I mean, thank you for complimenting my parents' particular genes that happen to yeah. mix into this. I mean... Yeah, and I think that the piece that like that falls on people, I mean, 
I'm going to just make a general generalization here that most people of color have experienced some kind of adversity and prejudice and racism for literally their skin color. And so to me, when someone's asked this and when it like goes down this rabbit hole and just becomes so invasive, it is triggering of all of those other experiences for me of like, here we go again. Now I'm being judged again for the color of my skin and for what I am and for, you know, my whole racial identity journey is just like all of that stuff gets triggered. And I think even when people say, you know, oh, well, I'm like European and people ask me what I am and I enjoy that conversation. And it's like, well, yeah, likely because you've never been like judged for like your nose being too big or your hair looking nappy or whatever it is that it's just like, oh, yeah, you're just beautiful. I mean, in America, people of color, and this is true in other places, but I can only speak really to the U.S., Mm -hmm. we walk around people of color and we carry that with us in all interactions. And we know that people are making small and big assumptions Mm -hmm. in every interaction. And so then to have the additional burden of, I have to make you comfortable with your curiosity mm-hmm. and what you're interested in knowing about me. It's, it's heavy. And mm-hmm. I think white people or people who appear white, they, they can appreciate maybe the novelty of being asked when they're on vacation or in certain situations. Yes. I, I literally got a letter from someone who... Um, I need to read this because it was, it's so interesting. As a white person, I love getting asked, what are you? Because it makes me feel like I look more exotic than I actually am. I think that goes along the same lines as cultural appropriation and that I want to fit the aesthetics without having to actually deal with any of the bias, judgment, discrimination that goes along with being a person of color. Yes, perceptive. <laughs> it's it's the opting in to the fun the fun quote unquote parts Mm -hmm. of being different or standing out, but the rest of us don't get to opt in and opt out. You know, I, I'm from here. I'm from the U S I'm from Kansas. Like that's, that's the answer I want to give you. And that's not satisfactory for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And so it just, it is a different experience and it's, it's hard to articulate it without getting people rolling their eyes or mm-hmm. blaming it on our, you know, the liberals or our PC culture. Yeah. Can't you just have a conversation with people anymore? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, to to kind of what we talked about a little bit earlier of usually being the only non-person of color that we are so, people of color, color are so often in white spaces and like white people literally have to intentionally enter spaces of color that it's not something that they just have to you know deal with on a daily basis they literally have to insert them into those space in themselves into those spaces and so i think that then even when something like this is brought up it's disappointing to me that people don't just listen to it and that instead they they attempt to invalidate it, attempt to minimize it when, again, I think this is 98% a person of color uh, 
otherness and exoticizing and um, invasive question that gets asked. And so to me, it's it's very, you know, being called like racist and hypocrite for even using the phrase white people when discussing this to me um, is just so absurd, honestly. And it makes it so much more difficult to have any kinds of conversation to where, you know, people of color's voices can be heard. I agree. And to be clear on this actual conversation, I get the question from all demographics. I definitely get it from white people and from non-white people and from older people and from younger people Mm -hmm. and from men and from women. But I think the feedback that I've gotten on sort of the defensiveness of I I had good intentions Yes, predominantly is coming from white people in my Mm -hmm. experience. Yeah. Yeah. I had several messages of people saying I wouldn't take offense to it. Some people like myself are just curious. uh, But of course, it's not the first thing I ask someone, which is definitely appreciated. And I think that one of the most um, invasive components of this question being asked is that it is, like we've said, from a stranger and it is, you know, one of the first things that they want to know about us that feels like very not personal feels like very surface level and just like you don't give a shit about me or who I am or anything you just want to know why I look this way why do you look like that let me help you but yeah well and and I think the, the othering is is such an important piece of this because because of the context in which you're asked, it, it, it makes me feel like the person asking is in their brain saying, this person doesn't look like me. They don't fit in. They don't belong. Let me categorize them in a way that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I recognize that's often not the intention, but that's one of the impacts to me. Totally. No, I, I totally agree. Um, and I think so. Do you do you answer the question d- differently depending on the situation you're in? I do. Yeah, um, and and I'll say too. I think the way that the person asks very much determines how much of my walls and how much of my sass I <laughs> I let out. <laughs> um, you know, the example that I shared on Instagram when I was in Vancouver this dude legit like came out of nowhere and just like was so intense and just like came straight up to me and was just so curious and it was so uncomfortable and I had no chill. I literally, I was like, excuse you? (laughs) And I was like, no, what do you need to know that for? What do you need to know that for? And like kept walking and then he just like kept trying to ask me the question and I literally, I don't know if you heard me or not, but I was like, seriously, like get the fuck out of here. (laughs) I was just like, I'm just trying to walk down the street with my girlfriend and he's like trying to like follow me and like ask me these questions. And I was just like, no, no, that's not okay. And other times, you know, at the, at the party, for example, it's, you know, I'm a little, (laughs) I'm I'm more chill (laughs) and, and I'm just like, yeah, I'm half black, half white. (laughs) And you know, you put on that little smile and I'm just like, yeah, okay. (laughs) 
next, next question. Yep. <laughs> um, and then the awkward pause when they don't ask anything else about it. They have categorized you and moved on. Yeah. 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 So I, mean, I, I the, the experience of being shouted out, which I've been questioned since writing this essay by people who say, oh, there's no way people would just yell that at you. Oh, they do. They do. I mean, <laughs> legitimate yelling. And I wouldn't even call it catcalling most mm-hmm. of the time because it doesn't, like I wrote, it doesn't feel like a compliment. It, no. It's, it's, it's just trying to take inventory almost. Yeah, it's taking inventory. It's a, it's a light interrogation. Mm-hmm. And so in situations where it's, you know, a, a man one-on-one asking me, I definitely feel more on edge than if it's in a bathroom at a club mm-hmm. and it's girls sort of petting your hair yeah. and asking, how'd you get this hair? Yeah. You're so pretty. Or even just like, what are you? Um, comes off more, less offensively yeah. to me most of the time, I'd mm-hmm. say. Yeah. I think it com- comes across a little less invasive. Um, but I think you know, even the, even the hair comments for me, you know, when I was younger, I got made fun of constantly for my hair and it was something that I had to struggle to like not hate about myself. And now that I'm, you know, older and wiser, um, I've like reached a place (laughs) where I'm like, I love my curls and I embrace them. And now when, when white people do compliment my curls, sometimes it is triggering of like, you know, the the young girls from my childhood that would like bully me about my hair to be like, mm, but do you really like my curls? Are you just trying to be nice now? Um, and so I, again, I think it's like, and other, and other times I'm totally just like, yeah, thank you. Like I really like them too. <laughs> um, but I think it, I think that this kind of information is really important to share, and I don't want it to come across like you know, oh, you can't compliment me on anything because I'm going to take offense to it. But I think that it is important that you know, non people of color recognize that by you know, exoticizing or sexualizing or um, you know, complimenting some of these aspects of a person of color that that. They don't, they don't get to pick and choose those things, like we said, and that sometimes they may have experienced some kind of adversity or judgment or bullying because of those things. Um, and to not like to just accept that as truth, <laughs> you know, the hair, the hair conversation is a separate, you know, you could have a whole other episode if you haven't already yeah. on people's <laughs> complicated relationships with their hair. Mm-hmm. I, I, desperately, you know, wanted straight blonde hair as a child for years and years. And then in high school and college, straightened my hair constantly Mm -hmm. because I thought it made me look prettier and made me fit in. And then a a few years ago, I was just over it, frankly. Mm -hmm. It was taking up way too much time. (laughs) Yes. It's hot and it was, it was not worth it. And I mean, I've definitely been on a, a journey with the curls mm-hmm. and frankly, I love compliments. I accept compliments yeah. that are, ju- that are true compliments, That that mm-hmm. feels great, but that that's different than the, the, the digging around and sort of yeah. the, 
identifying. How did you get those? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering if you can touch a little bit and kind of share some of your experience with, um, you know, if you've had any kind of conversations like with your mom, um, about kind of how she's handled, um, moving through the world with you as a child and kind of what that experience was like for her as a white woman. Is so open-minded and so inclusive and tolerant in her bones. And I think she has a lot of grace for people who ask intolerant or frankly stupid questions. Yeah. She's she's a social worker and I think she's, she loves like the human interaction and and teaching people and sort of meeting people where they are. Mm -hmm. I think that has helped her a lot. And she, and my dad had me, you know, in 1990 Mm -hmm. in Kansas and there weren't a ton of interracial families. And I don't know if she would say it was, especially difficult, but I know that it's something that she's always been conscious of. And we have had, I have a distinct memory of being in the grocery store when I was probably seven or eight with my best friend who is, was white and blonde and my mom is white and blonde Mm. and, and people assuming that they were the family and that I was the tag along friend. Mm -hmm. And that, that stings. That really stings. Yeah. (laughs) And (laughs) I mean, I think my, both my parents have taught my brother and me to be confident in who we are and to not let other people's insecurities or projections, Mm -hmm. you know, get to us too much. But it definitely is something that I've carried around and that uh, my mom has been aware of. Um, and I think that it's made her in her other environment, in her professional environments or in other situations where she is not with us, but is with other people of color. Mm-hmm. She's the truest advocate and, mm-hmm. and the person who is amplifying their voices. So I, th- I think that she's had a front row seat to the experiences yeah. that we've had. And that has, um, open her eyes, mm-hmm. I think, quicker than it, a lot of people have have had that happen. Yeah, totally. And I want to share some people's messages uh, related to having biracial kids, um, just to kind of piggyback off of that and then answer some of their questions afterwards. Um, so someone wrote in and said, I am white and my husband is black. We have two little mixed race girls and people are constantly coming up to me in public saying, what are they? It drives me nuts. I always want to respond with children, humans, people. My friends with white children never experience this. Another person said, you are hundred percent correct in your stance. I have biracial kids and it's rude as hell when folks ask, especially strangers. Now, if you are getting close to someone and the conversation is about roots or ethnicity, then it is up to you to discuss. What if the person is adopted and they don't know? It's rude and offensive. And on a side note, not every person of color with a lighter complexion and curly hair is mixed. Maybe I'm sensitive because I'm raising biracial kids, but folks need to mind their business. Uh, Amen. <laughs> yes. Uh, and the last one, she said, 
Hey, Tay, just listen to your What Are You segment. I'm white and my boyfriend is African-American. We're planning on getting married and having kids someday. I was wondering if you have any advice on how to look at this topic from a parent's perspective who would be raising a multiracial child. I think about this all the time, and I don't know if I have all the tools to know how to do this as I haven't experienced situations that people of color do. Do you have any advice in thinking about this topic because I want to be prepared for the future? How did your parents go about giving you advice on this? Was the advice from both parents or the non-white parent? Thank you. Ooh, those are thoughtful questions. <laughs> yes, yes. And I will say, like, I did get a lot, you know, I there was certainly a mix of everything, but I did get a lot of people who were just, like, very much white allies for people of color and um, very woke, as I'll say, um, to this kind of conversation and that were so thoughtful in their messages that I really appreciated. Well, this reminds me of a conversation which is definitely more intense than the what are you, but I think touches on some of the same issues, Mm -hmm. Um, which, so my boyfriend is white and we have talked about if and when we have kids in the future. Um, and one conversation in this political climate we're living in that I constantly think about is what it would be like to have a black boy out in the world in an environment with so much police brutality. Mm-hmm. And that's a conversation that I didn't really intend to, but did, ended up raising in front of my boyfriend. And I, I, I think I legitimately offended him by, by questioning whether and how he would have be able to have that conversation mm-hmm. with brown children yeah. as a white guy. And we had a good conversation about how he's just never had to think about it. Mm-hmm. And um, we, I mean, we've had this come up in other contexts, like watching Black Panther and being you know, emotionally <laughs> overcome by, by having superheroes who looked more like me. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think listening listening to their experience is the biggest piece of it. Yeah. And when you're when you have a kid who feels a certain way because they look different, I think you have to take that seriously and you have to respect that it's a real feeling. Mm -hmm. And I think it's getting a lot better in having representation in all different fields. Like I, to see so many different shapes and colors and sizes and sexual orientations on TV um, or in movies or just represented in the media is such an improvement. And I think as, as parents, you have to expose your kids to as broad of a world as possible Mm -hmm. so that even if in their real life, they're not seeing a lot of people who look like them I think it's so important to to show that hey this this girl is out mm-hmm. here doing that you know whether it's I don't know Simone Biles who is yeah incredible or you know someone on a, on a TV show who just is living an ordinary life but mm-hmm. the fact that there are people who look like you you're not the only one because I think 
so much of being a kid is trying to fit in and just the anxiety of feeling like you're the only one. And that applies for race and for so many different Mm -hmm. categories. Um, But honestly, I would tell those parents, the fact that you're thinking about it at all is a sign to me that you're going to be okay. Yes. Yeah. And I mean... totally agree with you on having that representation. Um, Naya, who is a little girl that I share frequently on my Instagram. Um, she's basically like my little sister and, uh, she's got some Hispanic roots and got some black roots and got some white roots and all kinds of, all kinds of roots and all kinds of things. Um, but watching her grow up, uh, in, such a diverse environment and having all those different kinds of family members around her and even in the kinds of shows that she watches where she's literally watching a show and she picks out the girl that's brown with curly hair and is like, she's my favorite one. Like that's my favorite fairy or whatever it is. And to me watching her grow up like this, like has broken my heart and warmed it in so many different ways where for me, I literally grew up basically as if I was a white girl, but experienced like racism as a black girl. And, you know, my mom, I think would probably agree. She was uh, very under-equipped to deal with the kind of um, racism that I would experience and the kind of racial identity that I would experience and go through. And I think even talking with friends who um, have you know, my one girlfriend, she has a son who's adopted, who's black and lives here in Seattle. And so it's like trying to navigate and, you know, all, all these kinds of things that we're talking about where she's being very specific and thoughtful in terms of what neighborhood she lives in so that he's around other people of color and doesn't feel like he's the only one, even in terms of which school he goes to and what kinds of activities he's doing outside of school. Um, and to me, I think that would have made such a difference if, there was, you know, I had Rob who I've talked about on the podcast before um, and who was a guest actually on the Being Biracial episode. But, um, you know, I had, he was really the only person I knew in my life who was non-white um, and who was, unfortunately, he was very, very far away. He was like living in Puerto Rico and I was in South Carolina. So it was very, very far. But I think if during those times, if I had had, just one person of color that was like my friend or that was a part of my family that could empathize and help walk me through some of that like bullying and adversity and whatnot that that would have made such a difference for me and just like feeling understood and then not internalizing and like believing these messages at such a young age and like hating myself and hating my race. Um, So I think that representation and having that kind of... um, being intentional about that community you're creating within your family is super important. And I think it totally falls on the adults Mm -hmm. to create a safe environment and start conversations because I was not a very outgoing or articulate kid. So I would have rather processed my feelings internally and alone and wouldn't have really felt comfortable Mm -hmm. going even to my parents to, to sort of sort through my feelings. And I knew that they would have been 
happy to talk to me, but I was not necessarily the kind of kid who was going to go and start that conversation. And so I think we have a a more inclusive and open-minded in culture now, we're more willing to talk about these issues. And I mean, the fact that we even have open conversations about identity, I think is, Mm -hmm. is huge progress from 20, 30 years ago. But I think parents and people in, you know, other adults who are around kids who might not be, who, who just feel different, which honestly, I think most feel, most kids feel different in one Mm -hmm. environment or or another. I think it's, it's our responsibility to, to talk to them and to show them different kinds of people living in the world and to say, Hey, I know this can be isolating Mm -hmm. or I know you might like just to recognize that you also see yeah. the optics of, of any given environment, or you also remember feeling a certain way, mm-hmm. whether you can relate to that specific, you know, type of isolation or yeah. not. I think just not feeling so alone, mm-hmm. it makes a huge difference. Yeah. And that's part of the representation. And even just, I think the number of resources that we have available today now, like, you know, back when my mom was having me, I don't think even that she would have necessarily thought like, oh, this might be difficult for my child who is going to be brown, like that, you know, even in terms of, you know, like you could sit down and watch Red Table Talk with your kid, you know, um, as a white mom, um, that there are just so many more resources out there now. And I think, you know, even I was a kid who was so talkative and every, you know, message I received, um, every interaction that was negative, like my family would hear about. And even me bringing that conversation to them, they had no clue how to handle that. I mean, my stepdad is a white guy from Iowa. Like mm-hmm. he has, he, he had no clue what to do with that. And, and I am not as, I'm not upset at them at all. And I think, that even the fact that this writer, you know, is is bringing these things into into question and considering these things is such a good start. Um, and I think you might have touched on this earlier of literally just listening to other people of color's experiences and stories um, and accepting them as true, not challenging them, not trying to you know change it around and make sense from your perspective but literally just listening to people of color's stories and accepting them as true so like any white person that's listening to this episode accept and understand that asking the question what are you is invasive (laughs) you know like don't necessarily try to fight those things and i think as a parent um listening to those different stories and just becoming more and more aware of what their experiences can and and could be will make such a difference. I mean, I think Rob brought this up in our being biracial episode and, you know, it was important for him to realize that he may just be going around the world as him, but the world is seeing him as a black man. And so for me, my mom might raise me as a white girl because her whole family's white. All her friends are white. You know, I'm her daughter. So therefore I'm also part white, but you can't necessarily raise a biracial child as a white person because the world is going to see them as a person of color. I mean, I literally remember like 
trying to argue with people in middle school who would like call me names and I'd be like, no, but like, but I'm white too. And then they'd be like, oh, but, but you are black, aren't you? And I'm like, well, yeah, half. And like, well, you're part black, you're all black. And that it's like, you can't like fight those kinds of things. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely had the experience of not feeling like I totally belong in any Mm-hmm. group. And I, I definitely have been in more white spaces as mm-hmm. someone in the Midwest, yeah. but even on the other end, being in predominantly black spaces, I mean, it's, it can be yeah, a similar feeling mm-hmm. um, of just always recognizing that you're not quite in or that people are sort of, you know, inventorying where, where you fit in. Mm-hmm. Um, so how, how did your parents handle it? Was it just a, a non-issue uh, well, in their minds? Well, I attempted to run away. <laughs> oh. um, I was like, I'm going back to Seattle. I hate it here. Um, I mean, basically my mom just tried to tell me, you know, that, that she loves me and that, that that doesn't matter and that, you know, this was part of what she was scared of with moving to South Carolina in the first place. Um, my stepdad was deployed, you know, he was in the Air Force. Mm. It was shortly after 9-11. Like there were just so many things happening. Um, and I don't think I ever actually had a conversation with my stepdad about it, period. Um, I think it was maybe just like, you know, yeah, I know it's hard to be here kind of thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, with my mom, it, it really... I think it's, again, when I was younger too, it wasn't like I definitely tried to be more white or viewed myself as more white, um, you know, would always straighten my hair, like would want to dress really like as preppy as I could. And like, I look back on those and I'm like, oh my God, like I look back at those photos and I'm like, that was so not me. And I think in the last, you know, since, since probably 22 or 23 to now being 26, that I have more and more unpacked my racial journey and um, and my identity in that and have much more actually identified and considered myself a person of color, which I think creates an interesting dynamic for my mom because I don't, we never had those conversations and I wouldn't necessarily talk about that after those few years in middle, middle school of experience and all of that it wasn't really something we ever discussed and it was always something I felt and that I experienced, but it wasn't a topic of conversation per se. <laughs> so I think in the last few years, as, as I've accepted more of my own experience and worked on healing those parts of myself and honestly just came into more of my skin and just feeling mm-hmm. more like authentic and confident in that, um, that it has created a really interesting dynamic because I don't think it's something that she necessarily can relate to or recognize. That's so interesting. I, I feel like I've had the opposite experience and my parents would have been more eager to have those conversations mm-hmm. earlier, but I was so protective or nervous or everything's fine. I just want to fit in and like, yeah. I don't want to deal with any feeling of otherness um, or I don't have it that bad. So it's just better to not talk about it. Mm. And I think I've kind of come 
on a similar journey, but maybe in the opposite direction of being more open to having the conversation. Mm. And what you said brought up another good point from the article, which is people assuming that I am not proud of my background or that I'm ashamed of it or that I don't want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And that's not it at all. I'm extremely proud of my background. I love being biracial and I honestly would happily talk about it all day. Mm -hmm. So it's not the topic. It's, it's the tone and it's the Mm -hmm. question and it's the context in which it's being asked. Yes, totally. And I think to that, that you also never really know where someone's at in their racial journey like that. I mean, I think most people, again, I'm going to make a generalization here. Um, I think most people that are mixed, multiracial, biracial have had to go through some kind of like racial uh, identity journey. Um, and mm-hmm. so I think being sensitive even to like, you don't know where they're at in that and that it might, it might be something they're uncomfortable discussing and it might be something that they're now super confident and um, excited to talk about. Like, and just being sensitive to that. Whereas I don't necessarily think many white people have had to go through like, you know, what does it mean that I'm white? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or being, or uh, feeling like, you know, oh, what kind of white do I need to like fit into? I don't know. Yes. I, I think that's a great point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but I do think, you know, that, yeah, it's, it's not that, you know, it's not something that, that I would ever want to address. And I think even like, you know, that uh, woman writing in and being curious as to how she could raise biracial children that I think when people want to address the conversation to really understand what that person's experience is, that that's so different than a stranger coming up to you and asking, what are you? Yeah, it seems it seems so simple. It seems so it's like a, a simple distinction. Yeah. yeah. And yet, <laughs> and yet, it becomes a huge, huge uh, conversation. And I think a lot of why it turns into all these other things around, you know, well, white people experience this too, and well, it, people are just being curious. Don't be offended, and and all these other things. I think all stem from not hearing people of color stories and not accepting them as true and trying to like fit them into your own box. But when you come from a completely different background, it's not going to fit in one of your boxes. You got to create a separate box for that and be like, this is this person's box. This is their experience. This is their story. I'm going to sit with this right here. Um, And I think that is, you know, also what I just hope people do and and take from this episode. (laughs) The, the best reactions I've gotten to, to trying to have a dialogue about race or, you know, racial issues is just an open-mindedness. It's just mm-hmm. questions. It's just, yeah. it's, it's just a willingness to hear what I'm saying. Like, I'm not expecting any person to, to fix the state of race relations yeah. or even to make me feel better. But just to say, hey, I heard, I heard what you said in this meeting that we had, or I read what you wrote, and thank you for sharing your story. And I hadn't thought of it, thought of it in this way. And I'm going to be more considerate the next time I'm in 
so-and-so situation. That's where you have change and that's where you have an impact on making people feel comfortable. No one's expecting any magic solution or magic words or else, you know, hopefully we would have come up with it by now. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's a, a good point to just like how we start having these conversations in a more productive way and in a way that does lead to some change and that it is kind of bit by bit, um, which is listening to each other. And so I just want to thank you for sharing, you know, your stories and, and your thoughts related to all of this. I think, you know, it could definitely be several essays on this topic. <laughs> oh, yes. I, I have a lot of thoughts and I've had a lot of varying experiences mm-hmm. uh, around this topic. And I it sounds like you have also. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, I think, a conversation that, you know, I had never seen before growing up, but always something I had experienced. Um, and so I hope that, you know, for the people whose letters I wrote, I read at the beginning of the episode, you know, I hope that this kind of serves again as, you know, a reminder that you're not alone in some of these experiences. And, um, you know, hopefully this just kind of continues more conversations. But I just want to say thank you so much, Jordan, for, you know, taking the time and being vulnerable in your essay and being vulnerable on here, um, that it certainly can be difficult, especially given the feedback that we've discussed on here that we get (laughs) sometimes for doing that. (laughs) But I think it's important that we do it anyway. So thank you. Thank you. I agree. It is an important and tough conversation, but I appreciate that you are willing to fight the good fight and, <laughs> and open open minds and open up the, the conversation like this. Yeah, I'm trying to. I can't tell you how many people I got messages from that are like, girl, like you don't owe them your energy and like, you know, just that. I know. Just you that it- and you don't. You don't, but yes. I think it can be a worthwhile and productive conversation. Yes. And I think that's where, you know, I I attempt to lean into the discomfort of having to have these lessons and these um, vulnerable moments because hopefully it does make a little bit of a difference. Um, And I'm really happy that you wrote your essay and that, you know, I think that will definitely help open some people's eyes to it. And I I know it has already. Um, And I'll put the link for that in the episode notes. But if people want to find you, is there anywhere else where they can find some of your other writings or any other place? that people could learn more about you or continue the conversation with you? (laughs) Sure. I I would love to continue the conversation. Um, I am on Twitter and Instagram at J underscore C-A-R 35. And just before we go, I just want to make sure, Jordan, that there's, if there's anything else that we want to touch on or anything else you want to add to this conversation before we wrap up. When you mentioned, you made a point a couple minutes ago. I think I would tell the parents who are asking the question to, to equip their kids to have a conversation when they are ready for it and to recognize the difference between genuine curiosity and people who want to have a conversation and people who are just trolling you Mm -hmm. or just want to be controversial or contrarian. Mm -hmm. And that's something that even dealing with this article and the response to it is I'm happy to have a productive 
open-minded conversation but when the commenters are you know just trying to get a rise out of you or they don't want to learn anything mm-hmm. um just to be able to shut that down and ignore it that's I mean something that I'm still working on yeah but I think when kids are going to have to have this conversation or when parents are going to have to have this conversation is you got to know when to dig in and engage mm-hmm. and know when to just say you know, you're on your own on, on this yeah. one. I'm, I'm not going to spend my energy mm-hmm. on this conversation. Yeah. I think that'd be super helpful for kids to learn and understand. And maybe that's a boundary I haven't fully learned yet. And that's why I keep <laughs> having these conversations with people on Instagram, <laughs> even when they're just saying ridiculous things sometimes um, <laughs> that I'm being racist for saying white people. Just the phrase itself is apparently mm-hmm. means I'm racist. Um, so <laughs> yeah, learning when it's appropriate for that energy to be spent, I think is a very good point. Can I, can I ask you, did you have a, like a a non-white adult figure who you could talk to when you were growing up about these kind of issues? No, the only, I mean, I had Rob, but again, he was so far away and when we would get together, it was really just like we would play and whatnot. And I think as I got older, it, it wasn't something I was even comfortable touching and and I think that he I think he sensed that but a large part of and I guess for people who haven't listened to previous episodes and for you even who don't know who Rob is um my mom had me when she was 20 um and her and my biological dad were not together and she then dated this other guy who was white and Rob was his best friend and when my mom and her boyfriend broke up Rob said he was like I'm going to stay in Crystal's life because Taylor doesn't have a single black person in her life. She doesn't have any kind of positive role role model of what a man of color could be. And so, you know, we had gotten close, you know, when my mom and her boyfriend would hang out, like Rob would entertain me. Um, I talked a lot and her boyfriend sometimes would be like, can she <laughs> shut up? Like, she just stop talking. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so Rob and I had got very close. And so he had just kind of said, you know, I'm going to stay in Taylor's life. And um, I think he knew that there would come a time where these conversations would be really important for me to have. And, you know, in my early 20s till now, I've been so incredibly thankful to have him in my life as someone that I can relate to, as someone that I can have these open conversations with. I mean, even just, again, Anaya is his daughter. And so even just seeing how she grows up and the kind of family she has around her and the kinds of conversations that I know she's going to have is like... It's it's healing for my inner child, but it's also like, yes. wow, this is it could have been so different. Yes. And and I think that's something to think about for parents who, you know, perhaps the color side of their family isn't present, or perhaps um, you know, they just aren't sure how to go about it. But yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, I I hope that every kid has someone who they can relate to or who understands these issues. But I recognize that's, that's definitely not the case. Yeah. And so I, I hope that, you know, people like you and me, we can use our experiences to mm-hmm. be that person for other, you know, future yeah. generations. Um, mm-hmm. 
because we all just want to feel less alone and like someone yeah. less is other. listening to us. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I think that yeah. that really sum, that really sums it up. <laughs> yeah. And that's where it's like some my response sometimes is like, I'm human. Like I'm a person. What do you want to know? Like <laughs> um and yeah, yeah. And, and I think too, like even as I was actually having this conversation on Instagram with people, I was um, with my mom and my stepdad actually at the time. And, you know, the whole time I'm even like posting these stories and, and having this conversation, it was like bothersome for my mom that that I was engaging with this because it just seemed like, you know, almost A, why am I putting my energy towards that? B, almost like, a, you know this is kind of silly. Like, yeah, people just want to know what you are. Like people have always been curious, like, you know, kind of a, a huff and a puff towards it almost to where, mm-hmm. again, even as I'm having this conversation, as I'm like sitting there <laughs> with my mom and all these things going through my head and my Canadian, very white boyfriend um, <laughs> of like, yeah, this is so different. And like, I am the only person here in this room you know, my boyfriend somewhat, um, that is like really engaged and wanting to have this conversation. And, you know, it makes such a huge difference for me of having someone like Rob in my life who, mm-hmm. who is all about these conversations, you know, and is so yeah. open to uh, that. I think, yeah, I think you, we cannot expect people of color to always want to have the conversation or to be expected Mm-hmm. to explain things to everyone else. Yeah. And I think certainly my my dad, who is Black, has taken more of an approach of just be the, the best, be the most reliable, show show rather than tell, of like yeah. just to prove himself in, in an environment versus sort of getting in the weeds and in the conversations. And I think mm-hmm. that has worked well for him and his personality. Yeah. Um, but we're all just trying to do the best <laughs> we can out there. I know. It's a lot. There's a lot of layers to all of this. <laughs> yes. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me and yeah. being willing to have this conversation and mm. lots of tough conversations. Yes, definitely. Well, thank you so much again. Um, it's been amazing having you on and we might need to like revisit some kind of biracial conversation in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah, lots to say. Lots to say. That's my favorite conversation to have. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. And thank you guys so much for making it all the way through this episode. I really hope that the empathy pants and empathy hat and jacket that you put on at the beginning of this episode have lasted you all the way through. And I really hope that you guys are finding several things to take away from this conversation. Um and you know, hopefully can continue the conversation and share with your friends and share with your family. Um, it really means a lot to be able to have this platform to be able to even discuss these kinds of things. I know little Taylor would have super appreciated hearing this kind of content out there. So um, even if no one takes anything away from it, I'm very happy that we've done this episode today. Um, if you guys have a minute after listening to this, I would love, love, love to hear how you guys are liking the show in an iTunes review, if you could head over there and leave a star rating or leave a review and give me some feedback, uh, that would be fantastic. I would love to get to a thousand reviews. I'm at about almost 900. So 
If you've been a listener of the pod for a while now and haven't left one, that would mean a lot. And I would greatly appreciate it. And I hope you guys have a fantastic rest of your week. And don't forget to take care of yourselves and check in with your energy. And I will be back next week and I'll talk to you next time. is brought to you by wave podcast network check out all of our shows including the brain candy podcast i don't get it coffee convos and let's talk about it surgeons keep our hearts beating they do the amazing help save lives and so can you your csl plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.